Hello, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the June 26th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we look at numbers 1391 through 1395 of the Catechism. The Fruits of Holy Communion, 1391. Holy Communion augments our union with Christ. The principal fruit of receiving the Eucharist and Holy Communion is an intimate union with Christ Jesus. Indeed, the Lord said, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Life in Christ has its foundation in the Eucharistic banquet. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. On the feast of the Lord, when the faithful receive the body of the Son, they proclaim to one another the good news, that the first fruits of life have been given as when the angel said to the Mary Magdalene, Christ is risen. Now too our life and resurrection conferred on whoever receives Christ. 1392. What material food produces in our bodily life, Holy Communion wonderfully achieves in our spiritual life. Communion with the flesh of the risen Christ, a flesh given life and giving life through the Holy Spirit, preserves, increases and, renew and renews the life of grace received at baptism. This growth in Christian life needs the nourishment of Eucharistic communion, the bread for our pilgrimage until the moment of death, when it will be given to us as viaticum. 1393. Holy Communion separates us from sin. The holy body of Christ we receive in Holy Communion is given up for us, and the blood we drink shed for the many for the forgiveness of sins. For this reason, the Eucharist cannot unite us to Christ, without at the same time cleansing us from past sins and preserving us from future sins. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of the Lord. If we proclaim the Lord's death, we proclaim the forgiveness of sins. If as often as his blood is poured out, it is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, I should always receive it, so that it may always forgive my sins. Because I always sin, I should always have a remedy. 1394 as bodily nourishment restores lost strength, so the Eucharist strengthens our charity, which tends to be weakened in daily life. And this living charity wipes away venial sins. By giving himself to us, Christ revives our love and enables us to break our disordered attachment to creatures and root out and root ourselves in him. Since Christ died for us out of love, when we celebrate the memorial of his death, at the moment of the sacrifice, we asked that love may be granted to us by the coming of the Holy Spirit. We humbly pray that in the strength of this love, by which Christ willed to die for us, we, by receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, may be able to consider the world as crucified to us and to be ourselves as crucified to the world, having received the gift of love let us die to sin and live for God. 1395. By the same charity that, in that it enkindles in us, the Eucharist preserves us from future mortal sins. The more we share the life of Christ, the progress in his friendship, the more difficult it is to break away from him by mortal sin. The Eucharist is not ordered to the forgiveness of mortal sins, that is proper to the sacrament of reconciliation. The Eucharist is properly the sacrament of all those who are in full communion with the Church.
Okay, so we're reading half the section because it's an important section. Tomorrow we'll continue with this fruits of Holy Communion. But I suppose the, um, the, the what we're looking at today is um, the, the first two things that we're really looking at today is the fact that Holy Communion strengthens us spiritually. If you don't eat physically, you become weak. That you need to eat in order to live. If somebody does not eat, they cannot live. They starve to death. It's a famine, it's a tragedy. And also the Christian needs this spiritual food. This food of Holy Communion that makes us able to live spiritually. That our spirit needs to be kept alive as well. And the nourishment that the spirit needs in order to live the Christian life. Because again we've seen that it's not about us. It's not exclusively about our effort. Christianity is not a do-it-yourself. It's not something you can achieve by yourself. It's not that they can give you the total idiot's guide to being a Christian and that you read it and that you put into practice and Bob's your uncle and everything is fine. This isn't Christianity. Christianity very clearly teaches that we need the Holy Spirit, we need the spiritual life, we need this divine grace that comes from Christ and one of the main sources of this grace is Holy Communion. Holy Communion is something that we should receive regularly so that we can be so that we can be capacitated, so that we can be strengthened for the journey, so that we can have this help that we need. And this is the first thing that it's teaching us. This first fruit is this increase in holiness and this um, divine life that is given to us this divine fuel or divine power, divine food, I don't know how you want to, to class it, that this is the first thing that Holy Communion does. It gives us this nourishment that we need, that we need to live holy lives, that we need to live good lives, that we need to also to be happy and be at peace in this life. And then the other thing I was talking about is this aspect of the Eucharist as forgiving sins. Now, I don't want to get too confused on this because it's not that the Eucharist is instead of confession. It's that the Eucharist is as well as confession. So first of all, you can't receive the Eucharist if you're in a state of mortal sin. You shouldn't receive the Eucharist if you're in a state of mortal sin. There are some very few tiny exceptions that I can't get into here. But in general, if you're in a state of mortal sin, you shouldn't receive the Eucharist because it would it would be bad for you. It's not simply a case of unworthiness because everybody is always unworthy. None of us deserves it. But if you're living in a way of life that is um, that has this mortal sin, again, we'll be looking at this more in the third section of the Catechism dealing with morality. But um, if that isn't the case, if you're not in mortal sin, that the venial sins, the sins that we commit uh, frequently, not to say they're good, not to say that they're excusable, that they're not excusable, but Christ forgives them also in the Eucharist. The Eucharist has this power to free us from sin, something that we don't realise. I suppose today sometimes they, people say, well, the Catholic Church shouldn't talk about sin anymore. You talk too much about sin, although honestly, I don't think that's true because most priests never mention the word sin. But anyway, the Catholic Church has this sacrament that forgives sins many of the sacraments forgive sins 
but the sacrament of the Eucharist especially will forgive sins on a on a weekly or a daily basis, inviting and then help us not to sin. Because that's the other thing about a mortal sin. A mortal sin is nearly impossible to commit from scratch. To go from being a state of perfect grace to being a mortal sin, you need many venial sins in the middle. It's not that suddenly you commit adultery, that it just happens. Or, I don't know, suddenly you kill somebody, that you're just going about your, your, your work merrily and suddenly you find that you've brought a machete and you've killed your co-worker. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. The mortal sins are nearly always prepared by many venial sins. And so the Eucharist is very important in that it forgives these venial sins and it helps us not to sin. It prepares us not to sin. And this is, uh, again, a great, a great fruit of communion. So we're looking at the fruits of communion. So tomorrow we'll continue looking at them. And tomorrow we're looking at 1396 through 1401. God bless.